um, in the church that are crucial for the well-being of the church. So verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And he stops there. In Ephesians 2.20, uh, if you remember, we went through the whole book of Ephesians together. Um, and in Ephesians 2.20, there we see the apostles and prophets you were know, the foundations of the universal church, which means that God was using them, those two specific offices, uh, particularly in that time period, in the early church, uh, to establish the church. And therefore, we believe that these offices have ceased since then, so that we do not call anybody apostles or prophets anymore. But the other three are still active in the church. Evangelists are those who regularly proclaim the gospel to non-believers in different settings, and you can just easily think of missionaries um, who are in this function. And then the shepherds and teachers, notice there the article, the is uh, incorporating both shepherds and teachers, meaning this is one office, and you have two different functions. Um, the shepherds and teachers uh, basically refer to the elders who govern and care for the people of the church and teach. And having those two different terms uh, explain why, why the PCA uh, we have ruling elders and teaching elders. Uh, the same eldership with the two different functions. Uh, not exclusively, you know, we uh, all teach and uh, you know care, but ruling elders would care more as shepherds, whereas uh, teaching elders like myself teach more uh, to be the church and care for the church. And now there are there's one common denominator among all these offices or gifts that God that's given the church, and that denominator is the Word of God. Uh, you know, God essentially used the apostles and the prophets in the early church to write the New Testament and close the canon of the Holy Scriptures. And God is using the evangelists and shepherds and teachers to communicate the Word right now in the present to the people, uh, you know, through their teaching and you know, uh, them living their lives out in the Word. So here, Paul is really uh, highlighting the most important gift that Christ, the reason Christ gave to the church, namely the Word of God. And indeed, uh, this gift is very important, again, for the well-being of the church for these following reasons. So follow with me in verses 12 and 13. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature, a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me highlight some words here and phrases um, so we can understand what Paul is saying here. First, the knowledge of the Son of God uh, there is not just head knowledge, but more relational knowledge. I mean, in building any relationship uh, in our own lives, uh, it's really important to know some 
you know, uh, information of the, the other person, such as, um, you know, food or hobbies or uh, preferences. So we can celebrate and, you know, uh, be a good, you know, friendship in that regard. But what's more important is the shared experiences with that person and the depth of trust. That's how you go deeper with that person. So here the knowledge of the Son of God uh, really means to go deeper in one's relationship with Christ as they grow in knowledge in who, he, who God is, who He is, as well as in their personal trust and love for Christ. And now here, the goal of this, Paul says, is to mature, to, to grow mature in, in their character. There's a phrase, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ uh, simply means the, the measure of their growth, someone's growth, a believer's growth, is the full stature of Christ's character. In other words, Jesus is the standard of our growth and maturity, that we are to become like Jesus in our character. And lastly, notice the word all, we all attain. Uh, meaning that, you know, all of this uh, that we just talked about is a responsibility for all who belong to the church. Not just chosen few, not just those, the spiritual, uh, but everybody who claims the name of Christ uh, are to grow up into maturity. So now summing up that, uh, thus far from verse 11, what Paul is saying is that God gave, or Christ in his resurrection, gave the word-based gifts such as elders to the church so that every member of the church would grow deeper in their relationship with Christ. And through that, through that relationship, you know, they would grow mature in their character you know, with Christ as the ultimate goal. So the word of God is that important in, in one's spiritual growth. And the spiritually mature people stand firm in the Word of God and do not let any false teaching, any temptations, you know, sway them away from their convictions. And that's what Paul will say in verse 14. Follow with me. So that grow, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Here's what Paul is saying. Satan, though he's been defeated on the cross, uh, is still out to destroy the church furiously because he knows that his time is short. And to be sure, like I said earlier, Christ has already secured victory for the universal church so that the church universally will not be destroyed but will triumph in the end. But local churches can be destroyed, right? Universal church will stand, but local churches can be destroyed when they lose the calling from God, as we see in Revelation 23. 
sober warnings there if you read through those chapters that Jesus says, I rebuke you. If you don't repent, you're going to be gone. That's what Jesus warns to each local churches. So how does Satan work that in local churches? Satan will slip in false teachings into the local church. Um, and if the church does not have a solid grounding in the Word of God and what it says, those false teachings will contaminate people's minds and will divide and destroy the church. And when you hear that, when you just hear what I just said, um, you turn the words like false teaching, you may just jump you know, all the way over to the heretical teachings that you may just encounter um, in church history books in, in distant past. And, and we may think that we're immune to those teachings. But false teachings go beyond that and can be pretty close to home. You know, these teachings are really any worldly philosophies and ideologies that can diminish the authority of the Word of God uh, in our lives and you know, drift us away from Christ. The examples are obviously materialism in, the, in our world and blind reliance on you know, human technology and ingenuity. It can be a lot of different things. Um, also, I want to point out some political ideologies too. Because uh, they can not only shape one believer, but the whole church in many different ways. And I think if you maybe observed what happened during the pandemic, or whether it's on social media or even on you know, public uh, media, uh, we saw a lot of Christians uh, having different political ideologies, like fighting one another publicly. It was very um, terrible uh, to say lightly. There, to be sure, politics is not necessarily bad, but what, it becomes bad when Christians put their political convictions above what the Bible says and start wielding them as weapons to one another. Instead, every believer must test every doctrine and political ideologies by the Word of God as the final authority and humbly help each other uh, arrive at the reasonable conclusion. But what we saw in over the years is people having their view over others and constantly saying, you know, I'm better than you. That's, that's basically what it was when they debated in the public forums like that. And that's why we went to the church through uh, the pandemic and um, destroyed some of the churches. So Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That is maturity. The Word of God has to be the basis for every single uh, conviction that we have. If not, I guarantee you, the church will be destroyed. The Word of God is foundation. Let us not forget that. And we are to go deeper in our walk with Christ, not just in that knowledge, but in our personal trust 
have left the world mature in our character. Otherwise, uh, you know, we cannot guarantee any uh, survival of individual, but also CLC. If you go to the next slide, um, a few months ago, we bought a couple of planters from the NARS and planted sunflowers, such as this, uh, in our backyards. And they were growing pretty well, um, and pretty tall, I'll say, if you are familiar with how sunflowers grow, they grow pretty tall. But then there was a storm uh, shortly after we planted them, and some of the flowers, like, literally got snapped in half. This looked really sad, like tall flowers, <laughs> like, like that. Uh, they, they died, but it just became lifeless. Before that, it was, you know, growing and there's so much hope, but all of a sudden, lifeless. And it seemed as though that those who got snapped had thinner stems than others, and they're also growing a bit distant from other flowers uh, within the same planter. Uh, I think what that meant was uh, those who were, you know, planted next to other sunflowers, uh, these sunflowers were basically protecting each other from the storms uh, so that they were not uh, snapped in half by the storms or wind. Uh, so what I saw was this, that you know, those other sunflowers you know, grew steady and eventually bore you know, beautiful sunflowers because they were getting enough nutrition as well as protection from other sunflowers. And that really is a good picture of a Christian life. You know, those who drink amply from the Word of God, having this solid foundation in the Word of God, will grow strong in the stem of their hearts and do not get easily blown over by the worldly ideologies and lifestyles or temptations. And also, Christians are to stay near others who have their own strong foundations of the Word of God. You know, they will be protected. And in the end, those flowers of Christians will bear um, beautiful fruits, flowers, in their deep relationship with Christ and Christ-like character. That is Christian life. So that's what I mean uh, by us going deeper than in this new church year and season. Let us make it our goal. I think a lot of times we kind of know this as a good thing to do. Of course we have to read the Bible, of course we have to pay attention to the Word of God and live it out. But it's a different thing when we set it up as our goal as a church, that we are going to focus in this season of our lives to go deeper and commune with Christ and really care about our hearts, how we are doing. And I'm really growing in my character. Do I get easily angry when I don't get what I want? Or do I really try to be humble and help one another to understand the Word of God? Or do I get bitter? Now, all these things, we really examine our hearts and we grow in our relationship with Christ. And it all starts with the Word of God. So go deeper with Christ. Second, go deeper with one another. Verses 15 and 16, it says this. Rather, 
speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him, who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. Here Paul is saying that uh, Christ has indeed given each member, each one of you, uh, in Christ, a gift, a spiritual gifts, whatever that might be, it varies among different people, um, so that each member can properly use those gifts to build up one another, build up the church. And Paul says, as we do that, the crucial element is love. Repeated twice. You know, the Bible back then, they had a computer. So when they use you know, different words twice, or the same words twice, or long more, that means they mattered. They used the ink and paper that was pretty rare at that time. Um, so it matters. He repeats that twice. But here, specifically, this means, he says, we're to speak truth uh, in love to one another. Speak. Again, uh, going back to what happens in the, in the church, um, during the pandemic especially, what we saw was people tend to weaponize the truth of the Bible and use it to judge, condemn, and abuse others. But rather, we are to uphold and speak the truth to be sure to one another. But we do that in order to build each other up. So that's what we're to do, but the question at this point might be, how do we do this? How do we do this? Uh, of course, the, the perfect example of how we do this is Jesus. He's the standard, like we saw earlier. And I think there are a lot of different things um, you know, that we can learn from Jesus in this regard, but I think I turn to the story of Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman in John 4. If you're not familiar with the story, it's a story where Jesus talks to this woman in Samaria, which is a very ostracized region and people group. But Jesus reached out to, to this, this woman who not only is Samaritan, but also has had a very colorful religious history. She's had five different husbands, basically addicted to sex and relationships. To such woman, uh, Jesus comes to her, and she, he tenderly talks to her and tells her about the gospel. Here are some of the things that we learn in this story, and I list it out there. There are many different things, but I pointed out um, what Jesus did that we can learn in regards to what it means to speak truth in love. And here he reaches out to the outcast, someone that people didn't really care about or even judged and, um, you know, cast out. And he also values her as a human being. He didn't define her by her sins or mistakes or even her social status. He reached out. He valued her as the um, image bearer of Christ. And he's also patient with her questions. You know, she asked a lot of questions in the story. Not once he said, are you serious? That question? Does not make sense. He always was patient 
in the story. And yet, in his gentleness and patience, he revealed her sins. But even then, he did it through a series of questions. It just here's a wisdom that we need to learn, uh, really, and even in our relationships. Whenever you confront somebody, if you start with questions as opposed to statements, you earn, you win that person. Because questions uh, are a more gentler way of confronting somebody, helping them to own their mistakes as opposed to us condemning them. Jesus demonstrates that. And he never publicly shamed her as he did that. And lastly, he did not control her to change, change. Rather, he gave her ample space and room. He respected her boundaries as a human being. So that when she changed, it wasn't because Jesus somehow forced her, but it was her own volition, of course, by the power of the Spirit. That's a good example, but the question at this point might be, okay, that's Jesus. Can we do that? To be sure, you know, each one of us has different challenges. I would imagine, you know, when we, when we come to this area of speaking truth and love to one another, uh, maybe some of us might be, maybe we can label uh, you guys, um, if, if we may, truth people. That your strength is, you know, confronting people when you see something is wrong with that people, and uh, you, know, you enjoy serving them by telling them the truth and, you know, kind of outline for them and. Uh, you know, guide them through different stages about how to, how to change. Uh, so that's a strength, but at the same time, if you are in that category, so to speak, uh, you may have to be a little insensitive sometimes. And maybe you uh, have been told that you hurt people's feelings more easily. So that's one camp. Again, I don't want to categorize people like in that way, but that's one, I guess, tendency of some people. But the other tendency might be that, okay, the strength first. The other camp have the strength of, um, you know, knowing how to empathize people and uh, knowing how to temper uh, towards others. So they, they love being kind and gentle. They love being uh, the healer, so to speak. Um, just come alongside and walk with them and make them feel better. That's great strength in the church. Uh, but maybe the, the weakness of that personality type or gift type uh, is probably more accurate, gift type. Uh, you may have to shy away from you know, speaking truth. You may shy away uh, from confronting people for fear of rejection, for fear of confrontation, for fear of um, you know, making people feel uncomfortable. On my manuscript, I said, take a whole question mark. Huh? Well, I'm not sure to do that. So, just in your mind, um, just uh, put yourself in one or the other. Only Jesus, we see in John 1, that he is full of grace and truth. He's got both. 
of everything. And he's the standard that we have learned to grow into as his believers. And we must rely on the Holy Spirit, therefore, to grow, to be wise. Again, if you are more in this camp, confronting people more easily, then learn to be more empathetic. And that takes time. And if you are more of a tender kind, then learn to be more confrontational out of love for the person. And we do that as we grow in our walk with Christ. I may share one example for me personally. Uh, there was one occasion where uh, I had been ministering to this one person for quite a while. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I would meet with them fairly regularly. And I really wanted to grow uh, spiritually, especially because he was a newer believer at the time. But during that time, uh, he was falling through various kinds of sins that were serious. And he wasn't really doing well. So I had to confront him. And it was a really difficult uh, conversation. Uh, like, actually, conversations. There were multiple times I confronted him. And we ended up having a lot of debates. And it was just really hard. Uh, went on for like several hours for each meeting. Um, and it was really going anywhere. It was really hard for me personally because I really cared about it, but then he just really was choosing to do things that were really unhelpful and even harmful to other people too around him. And fast forward, this friend uh, had to leave our church because of a new job. And at the last meeting when he left, um, you know, he um, talked with me and he started crying in front of me. Uh, saying that he really appreciated uh, the fact that I never gave up on him, um, despite all the hard talks that we had. He kept saying thank you for not giving up on me, even though it was difficult. And it was a powerful moment as a pastor. I, think I always like to make a mental note, uh, note to myself, to grow as a pastor or as a, a brother that in ministry, I said, uh, I shall never give up on people, no matter how hard they may be in certain seasons. That I'll, I'll not do that. And I find the justification for that from God. Because God would never give up on me. Just because you know, I can be difficult to him that I choose different things that um, are not very helpful for my book. And yes, he you know, reaches out to me and pursues after me after a million failures. And I should do likewise. And may I say, so should you. So being in the church, uh, brothers and sisters, you have been given the privilege to serve each other. When, when you hear the word body of Christ, you don't take that literally. It's, it's organism. We're not just organizations, but we're organisms. Where each one of you matter in this body. And each one of us, therefore, again, go deeper with God first, understanding His love for you, how He serves you, 
And as you receive that grace, you are now to replicate that love to one another by speaking truth in wise ways that we're open to. And when we do that, the church will build up. And that is precisely what I'm encouraging us to do at this, this juncture and scene of our lives. That we take going deeper with us seriously, and we take another step to go deeper with one another. And really make this body of Christ grow. Really organically, not just structurally, which those are open for but at this juncture, I really want to see us growing organically to find a good foundation for our church in a sense. So let us do that. That's our goal for this year. But that is pray together. We're going to uh, communion uh, right away, right now. So would you take some time in prayer? Then uh, I'll post for us in prayer, and then we'll go right into the communion. So, Lord, may we uh, thoroughly 
receive your grace during this time. Holding nothing back, but having the hard attitude of really wanting to receive more from you. Understanding that apart from you, we can do nothing. So use this time, God, to feed your people, feed your church, and become better lovers to one another and towards you.
First Corinthians 11 talks very succinctly about how we, we should not take this um, you know, in an unworthy manner. And that's why, as careful you, you know, we do the interviews and make sure that you are baptized believers. Um, because circumcision was the, the requirement for Passover. Same thing, that baptism for the Lord's Supper. So really we want to make sure that this is uh, reserved for God's common people uh, who know the gospel. And, um, and for those of us you know, who uh, have been baptized or you know, um, cannot participate, I really want to encourage you to, um, you know, to think about where you are in your spiritual journey and may God um, you know, rest upon your heart at, at His timing to take that step and participate. So let's not make any you know, misunderstanding here. That we really want to um, make this available for everybody, but make sure that we follow up how God um, prescribed for us in His Word. So with that in mind, uh, that's going to our time together. Let's really celebrate, let's really be renewed through this time together. So let me let me share for us. On the night when Jesus died for you, he took the bread and he broke it. <laughs> I'm sure he just did it better than I did. He broke it and said, This is my body. Just imagine the scene where he was saying, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, to the cup and said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as possible in remembrance of me. And when we do this as often as possible, God is uh, Jesus sitting with us across the table, feeding us and nourishing us. So join the table. Uh, let us all stand uh, here participating and I'll make a single pile of line here. Uh, and then get the bread first, and then uh, grape juice, and then go back to your seat in this manner. So let's all stand. The table.
take it together as a family meal. Um, please spend some time in prayers, just meditating on what this song means and believing that He's here with us through His Spirit. Um, really want to bless our hearts and love on us. I'll throw for a little bit. Let's take together. 